Well, welcome. I'm so unbelievably glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I want to welcome you to the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at the Ferndale campus and those who are watching online as well. We are just glad that you've chosen to join us today. I have a couple of pieces of business that we want to talk about before we get to the most important work of the night, which is the baptismal service. I want to make sure that, that, that uh, you know some of the things that are coming. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Big Words. There are some big words in your Bible, and they are really, really important. And if you don't know what those big words mean, they can mess up your understanding of God. They can mess up your theology. And so I'm going to do something that scares me to death because I'm not a theologian. I'm just a regular guy who loves his Bible. That's who I am. And so I'm a little freaked out because I'm going to try as best I can to take these huge words like propitiation. Yeah, try that one on for size sometime. Justification, salvation, sanctification. And I'm going to try and make them um, palatable and fun because I think theology is awesome. So we're going to do that, and I'm going to invite you to come back and join us and bring your Bible along with you, and you can come for one of two reasons. You can come to be fed, or you can come to see whether or not I go down in flames. Either one works for me, okay? We just invite you to come back and be a part of that. Before we get started with today's message, I want to talk to you about a Christ the King missions project that we need to finish. We started it, and now it's time to get it done. Let me show you a picture, Ferndale, you'll be able to see this as well. This is the Tumaini, which is the House of Hope Children's Home in Africa. It's about 80% complete, and as a church, we began this project a couple of years back. These are some of the children, you can see on the slides as well, that are waiting for this home to be done so they can move in. About 50 of them are waiting for that building to be finished because that's going to be their new home. All of those kids are sponsored by people here at Christ the King Church they're just looking for a place to call home. This next slide is Shannon. Shannon is a CTK YWAM missionary who is the director of the home. She's one of our girls, and we are excited about the work that she is doing over there. And she kind of, she's mama bear, and she looks after the children that you saw. It's going to take about $50,000 to finish this project and get the kids into their new home. And over the next couple of weeks as a church, we're going to be talking about finishing what we started over there. Our hope and our prayer is that the Africa team that's going this summer in 2010 will be able to finish it, get it done, open the doors, and welcome the kids in. Many of these children um, are victims of the AIDS pandemic that is ravaging Africa. They have no parents, and so we've become their family. So I'm going to encourage you to think about it and to pray about it. Next weekend, there will be an envelope inside of your program that you can think about and pray over. The envelopes are already available at the back. They are marked missions. I want to remind you, whenever we do missions projects, this is for above and beyond giving. This is God knocks on your heart, you say yes, and it's between you and between Him. But what an amazing opportunity we have to change the direction of these kids' lives. And so I'm going to leave it for you, Christ the King. You think and pray about it, and we'll see what God does with this project. So I went home after the Easter weekend, and I was empty. I was empty physically. I was empty emotionally. There was nothing in. The lights were on, but there was no one home. 
And I sat on my sofa all day Sunday. We gave the staff Monday off because they were also empty. And I sat there. Every once in a while, my daughter would walk by. I'd twitch every once in a while to show that I was still alive, but that was about all that came out of me. During the week, I went to a coffee shop to write this week's message, but nothing came out because my brain was empty. I tried to type, but no matter how I got going on it, the screen just stayed empty. I wore out my welcome at the coffee shop because eventually my coffee cup was empty. There was nothing in there. So I finally decided, oh, I'm fine. If, if, you know, if, I, if I can't get anything out, I'm going to go home. I went home. There was no one there. It was empty. So I went back and sat on my sofa for a little while. Finally mustered up some energy and figured I got to mow my lawn sooner or later. So I got out my lawnmower. But it would not start because it was empty. So I went to my shed and I grabbed my gas can. And it was empty. So I went into my garage because I have two gas cans. And I grabbed the second one and it was empty. So I jumped in my son's truck to go and get some gas, but I couldn't take his truck anywhere because his gas tank was empty. So I got in my wife's car, drove to the gas station, and before I filled the gas can that I had taken with me, I figured I should make sure I have money with me, so I reached into my back pocket and it was empty. So I told God, I get it. I get it. Let's review all of Easter. The words of the first Palm Sunday were empty. The people at the first Palm Sunday missed the Messiah, and we are challenged every year as people on Palm Sunday not to repeat the mistakes of the past by allowing our words to be empty. We want our words to be full of meaning, full of praise, full of truth, full of consistency, full of honesty, full of Jesus. At the shadow of the cross, we found the cup is empty. During that experience, we saw that Jesus poured himself out for us as a sacrifice so that we could exchange our empty existence for one that was full. On Good Friday, we gathered together and we declared, the cross is empty. We were touched by the suffering of Jesus as he took our sins upon himself. We were moved by his love and then we were ignited with passion with the truth that the cross is not full. It's empty and it's empty because of what Jesus said. It is finished. Last weekend on Easter, we got to celebrate. The funeral turned into a party because the tomb is empty. It was empty. Then it is empty still. And all around the world, Christians joined together to tell the truth that Jesus lives and that Jesus saves. The main point of last week, just in case you missed it, was this. Because the tomb is empty, my life can be full. My heart can be full. My mind can be full. My existence can be full. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Last week, we got to experience the power of the cross. It was an incredible thing. We got to see the power of the cross firsthand. We saw people's lives were changed. People's directions were changed. People exchanged empty lives for the fullness that comes with knowing Jesus. Prayers were answered. Destinies were redefined. The power of the cross last weekend was on full display at Christ the King Community Church. And this week... I want to touch briefly on the power of the cross. We're going to walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to hit the highlights. That's all the time is going to allow. 
But I want us to understand the depth of the power of the cross, because if we can keep that, the power of the cross as the focal point, if we can keep our eyes on Jesus, there might still be hope for revival in Whatcom County. Amen? So let's walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll remind you again, it was written by Paul. We met Paul last week, a man who grew up in the church. He became angry and bitter because of, of what religion did to him. His anger became focused on a group of people. He, he hunted down and murdered the people of God and then was miraculously redirected by Jesus, miraculously saved by Jesus. And in the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches the power of the cross. And he says this, if you'd like to fill it out in your outline, you can follow along in the blanks. Paul teaches, first of all, that the power of the cross gives us strength. 1 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. It's listed in your outline. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, you're welcome to do that. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 8 says this, He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. He's faithful. That was my theme verse for last weekend. I was claiming the promise for myself and for my whole team because we were trying to get to the end. That was the goal. Make it through the weekend. Do everything you can. Leave it completely and totally on the field. So I was asking God, God, give strength to the choir. Give strength to the counselors. Give strength to the people who are coming forward. God, give strength, give strength, give strength. And you know what I learned? I learned the end of the verse is true. He was faithful. He was faithful. He walked alongside of each one of us. We made it through the weekend, and then I was reminded again about what real life is. I opened up my email on Tuesday, and there was real life, a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, a home that was lost to bankruptcy, a teenager who had gone missing, a friend of mine who died in a motorcycle accident, a surgery that went wrong, an illness that, that nobody saw coming, a depression that, that just won't seem to let go of somebody's life. And to the hurting and the broken, Jesus says, I will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless when I come and get you. I've called you into a deep abiding friendship and the one thing you can count on is this, I will be faithful to you. When it's going well and when it's not going well, I believe that word speaks encouragement to all of us. I have no idea what you're facing this week, but according to 1 Corinthians, Jesus says through Paul, stay strong. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give in. Fight with everything that you have, and he will be faithful. That's a promise. So Paul says that the power of the cross gives us strength. Secondly, Paul says the power of the cross unifies the church. Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1 says this, I appeal to you, brothers. He's talking to all of us. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's the high calling of God. He wants us to dwell in unity. The place that I have seen where Christians can find the most unity is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We get, we get stuck in all different kinds of places, don't we, to create disunity among brothers because one person thinks this, another person thinks that, and this person's got this opinion and that opinion. And, and you know, before we know, we're kind of going back and forth with each other, and the world's looking at us going, why in the world would I want to be a part of that? They don't seem to be unified. 
They don't seem to love each other. Last weekend, we just got a snippet of it because we saw what happens when God's people all gather in unity underneath the banner of two words. Do you remember them from last week? Jesus saves. Last week, we came in together under that banner, and it was amazing. People were doing their part. People invited friends. People sang. People created video. People ushered and greeted. People made coffee. People looked after your children down the hallway. People cleaned bathrooms. People prayed. People came. People ran cameras. People gave. People moved to Saturday night to make room for those who were coming on Sunday morning. People were nice. I walked out in the parking lot. There's people just waving people in. You can go ahead of me. That's great. It's Easter. Jesus is alive. I will not have a bad attitude. In you go. I was watching you all around the building. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And what happened because of it? People were touched. We got to be the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus, and they were touched by His love and the unity that they saw amongst the family. Thirdly, Paul goes on, he says, the power of the cross communicates that Jesus saves. He communicates that Jesus saves. 1 Corinthians 1.17, this verse says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the final piece of the series that we have to guard against and watch. Paul says, when the human words get in the way, the cross of Christ suffers. That means no person, no personality, nothing is to get in front of the cross. Can I tell you kind of how we operate around here? This is the one thing that pulls together. This is the one thing that we communicate over and over again. At Christ the King Church, it's Jesus plus nothing. Do we understand that? That's why we're wired the way that we are. It's Jesus plus nothing. This verse about the cross of Christ being emptied of its power, it freaks me out a little bit because you know who he's talking to? Pastors, guys with microphones who dare to open their mouth and deliver what God has given to them during the week. This verse says if the words that are preached are not from Jesus and instead come from a man, that they're going to have little or no effect and that the cross of Christ will not be effective in touching people. I often tell people that the ministry and the philosophy of Christ the King is very simple. We see what Jesus is doing and then we stay out of his way. Because he's the one that's actually doing it. The day the work of the cross gets wrapped up in a person or a personality or in the power of speech, we've missed it. You see, I know something about human words. I know that if human words talk you into something, it's only a matter of time till somebody smarter comes along and they'll be able to talk you out of something. It's the Word of God alone that stands forever. It's the Word of God alone that is promised it will never come back empty. It's the Word of God alone that has the power to change a human life, not some goofball with a microphone wrapped over his ear. Amen? I mean, that's just biblical truth. The words of Jesus are powerful. The wisdom of Jesus is powerful. Everything else is just human stuff. Well, in a few moments... I'm going to continue, but I need to dismiss a group of people so they can go back and get ready. They actually are a part of this next particular point. And Ferndale, I know you can't see them, but these are some of your brothers and sisters right here. And 
Paul teaches this as the next section. He says, the power of the cross messes people up. And I put it in brackets, but in a good way. All of the people who are going to stand in just a few moments and work their way up that hallway to come out and be baptized, they got messed up by Jesus. They were going in a certain direction. They thought their lives were perfect. They thought everything was just fine, wonderful, and happy. It's all good. And then Jesus tripped them. He became a stumbling block. They had to grapple with the cross, deal with the cross. And for some of them, it was not an easy process. I know some of their stories. I've watched them come to church week after week and fight. Fight to be left alone. Fight to go and do their own thing. And finally, in a moment of surrender and obedience, they decided that Jesus was the answer. 1 Corinthians 1.18 describes this group of people. It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It means it doesn't make sense to everybody. Some people would look at these folks and go, so here's the deal. You gave your life to Jesus. You got religion. Now they brought you back. They're going to put you in the tub, stick you under the water, bring you back up again, and a whole bunch of these people are going to clap like crazy people because they think something really important happened. Yes! Something very, very important happened. The power of the cross saved them. And now they're declaring they're not ashamed to go public. That's the amazing thing about baptism. The cross is a stumbling block to some people. Christ the King is committed to removing every obstacle that we can We love to try and remove obstacles so people can find their way to Jesus. But there's one glorious exception. There's one stumbling block from Scripture that we will never, ever, ever remove. The day it's removed, I will be a dead, twitching corpse in the wings at Christ the King Community Church. The one stumbling block we can never remove is the cross of Christ. Because that's the power of God to save. It can't go. It won't go. You can try and remove it. The rest of us will tackle you before you hit the door. That's the bottom line. See, we want people to struggle with the cross. We want people to battle with the cross because the cross stands as the great equalizer for all people. At the foot of the cross, we're all just sinners in the need of a Savior, sinners in need of God's amazing grace. And the cross forces us to make a decision. You can either accept the penalty that was paid on it, or you can reject it. The cross demands a decision from people. So I'm going to ask this group of people who have been gripped by the power of the cross to the point where they're not afraid to go public. I'm going to ask all the baptismal folks, can you guys stand up right now? You're going to go with Pastor Melanie. She's heading out the door right there. Can we encourage them as they're going to get ready? It's awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. Paul goes on in the chapter, and this is what he says. Listen closely to what he says. He goes, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Paul goes on and says, where is the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God says, I like to use regular people, simple people, earnest and faithful people. They may not have the highest IQ score. They may not be a part of Mensa. They may just be a regular, ordinary person. They might be a plumber. They might be a real estate agent. They might be a teacher. God says, those are the things that I love to use to confound the questions when people say, how does, how does this work? You know how it works? It works because of the power of two words. Jesus saves. It works because of the reality of two words. Jesus lives. I love that God uses simple things. It gives me hope for me. It amazes me that God would choose to use a kid from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada with a microphone. Blows me away. Not sure exactly how he does it. He does. And what an honor and a privilege to be a part of that. What an honor and privilege to know that it's not just one person that God uses, that it's all of us that God uses. I have a very good friend who is a doctor. She is unbelievably smart. She's got more degrees than Fahrenheit and a, couple of, and a couple of PhDs on top of it. Unbelievably smart. She's incredibly well-read, way smarter than me. She can argue and debate and wax philosophical. She can carry on an argument ad infinitum. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It will make you smarter, okay, which would be awesome. She has deep intellectual arguments, and it drives her crazy when I don't answer her arguments. I remember one time we were actually sitting together on a picnic table. We grew up together, and we are talking back and forth, and she's just like, but how can this be? How can this be? Why is this mystery? How can you do this? Now, you've got to remember, she's brilliant. Drives her crazy when I say, you know what? You're very, very smart. But just so we've got everything in perspective, and I reach down and I pluck a blade of grass, and I hold it out and say, make one of these. 
let's just keep human wisdom in perspective. You're so smart. I'll even give you one to copy. (laughs) Have at it. Sometimes it's simple belief. Sometimes it's simple faith. And what it leads to is a very simple and profound joy that comes from knowing that Jesus saved. Last one, the power of the cross protects us from pride. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 31 says this, Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The popular question of the week is, so Grant, like how'd it go? Like, you know, Easter weekend, that's a really, really big deal. How'd it go? What's the report card? What's the report card? Well, I want to make sure that we get this one right. So let me set the record straight about Easter weekend by being obedient to Scripture. Jesus brought a record number of people to shadow of the cross. More than a thousand people came, more than we've ever had before, to take an hour to walk through an experience that pointed them to the way Jesus poured himself out. Jesus brought a record number of people to Good Friday, more than 1,800, more than we've ever had before, to receive communion, and in doing so, were obedient to his command to remember the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus prompted more than 7,200 people last weekend to come to church and hear the amazing words that Jesus saves more than we've ever had before. Jesus inspired more than 600 volunteers to serve like Jesus served so we could welcome many people to Christ the King for the first time. Most importantly, more than, or Jesus drew more than 170 people to step across the line of faith and accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. 124 in this room, more than 50 in that room, and a whole bunch more that couldn't get to the aisles, and it was awesome. Everything that happened was for Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, and to the praise of Jesus. If you want to brag about anything, you brag about Jesus because he was faithful, he was patient, he was kind, and he was powerful. We give Jesus all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. We are bragging about it because he did it. It had nothing to do with us whatsoever. We have nothing to brag about in and of ourselves other than the simple fact that we're with him. And that's the best place to be. Amen? Amen? Awesome. And right now, we're going to celebrate something else that Jesus has done. We're going to meet a group of people who are so overwhelmed by His love for them that they are willing to go public with the fact that Jesus saved them. And in a moment, they're going to come out here and join me, and we're going to parade them out in front of you and... And if you are the family that I think you are, you're going to make noise and clap your hands because this is as good as it gets. I forgot one piece as well.